everyone is a star child made of stardust and the infinite potential of the universe. This extraordinary fearless something in each of us clamors for freedom from the bonds of fear, conformity, and an ordinary life. Welcome to Dr. Durr's Living in the Sweet Spot, where practical tools and solutions from the intersection of mind-body medicine, science, and spiritual well-being awaken and empower you to live out your infinite potential, to live life in the sweet spot. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Valen A. Durr, and welcome to Living in the Sweet Spot. Today, we are going to talk about warriors and um, specifically why some veterans, um, after they leave the service, uh, fail to succeed in their civilian careers, why some of their skill set does not translate uh, to their civilian life um, and their workplace? And then what are some of the things that we as you know, individuals, as families, loved ones, and companies can do to aid them in their transition back to civilian life in order to be successful? So today I want to welcome my guest, William Toady. Hi there. Hey, how are you, Dr. Durr? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And you know what? I just, I want you to know, um, um, thank you so much for being with me today to have this conversation because, you know, I personally, I personally love warriors and um, there's, there's and an actually uh, interesting enough, my, my first name in, in Hindi means mighty warrior. So, uh, so I, yeah, I have a certain kinship with, with warriors and, uh, and, and the bravery and the service. And so, you know, um, re retired Captain Toady, I want to thank you for, for, for your service and all that you do. And for, again, having this conver conversation with me so that, um, you know, so that we can enlighten folks about, you know, the, the, the experiences and again, how, how we can, we can be helpful and to bring some understanding um, to this topic. Well, thank you. Thank you for talking about this very important subject. It's, uh, you know, not widely discussed, I'm afraid. And so it's wonderful to get the opportunity to discuss it with you. Right. Well, you, uh, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you uh, about that. And I think, you know, obviously as a psychiatrist, um, I see a lot of PTSD, both uh, more so in the civilian population um, certainly when I was in residency, you know, my psychiatry residency training, you know, I, one of my, I worked at the VA with, with, with veterans. So I got to see it, things more there in, in that light, but mostly at this point in my career is mostly civilians. But the point of course, is that, you know, just, and just how impactful and devastating PTSD can be both, you know, to veterans, um, and but also to their, to their families, so I don't know how well, you know, that is, that is understood um, either. So, um, so let's, let's just go ahead and, 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 um, and, and jump in here and, and, and let's talk about this just a, a bit. Absolutely. You know, there is, um, you know, a category of, of uh, retired former warriors and veterans 
you might may suffer from PTSD from you know combat, so combat-related PTSD kind of things. And you know, the, it's interesting though that it's not just the combat experience in Iraq and Afghanistan and places like that that might lead to combat-related PTSD. You know, there's another category of people like me who were in the Pentagon on 9/11, and I, I would tell you that um, I suffered from it for years as well. Uh, I overcame it. I'm happy to report. Mm -hmm. but, um, but but there's that one category of a veteran. There's another category, a veteran that's actually never been in combat, and but for for reasons of um, you know sexual assault or things like that, mm -hmm. they end up suffering from PTSD. So, so, so you know what? Let, how about if we do this? Because um, also there are a lot of folks may not even be aware aware of what you know. PTSD looks like, right? What 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 do you experience? So um, so so yeah, it's it's um, and I know you can get some variations, of course, but 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 if you would mind sharing your experience, yeah, um, that's all I really can do. I can because I'm I'm not in uh, a therapist or a psychologist like you, or psychiatrist like you. Mm -hmm. So I could do all I could do is tell you what my experience was. And what that was is basically a, a, a re reliving, like an a, like the experience that you suffered through, gets put on automatic replay. You know, like on your a video on your phone, where you just basically dial in the the re loop button, and Correct. it just goes play over and over and over again mm -hmm. in right. your head. And initially, I would say there was a period of maybe two or three years where that happened every day every wow. day wow and then over the course of maybe the next five years mm -hmm. it'd be happening less and less frequent and truth truth is i did not seek help that's my failure right i didn't well I, i'm sure but there's i'm sure there are reasons for it so but before we get into reasons why you didn't seek help did you experience any other symptoms um, there, there were some, you know, different, um, my kids would say, and the kids were still in the house in those days, they, they said, you know, dad is different. Mm. He, he's not the same dad joking, you know, fun loving kind of guy he was before mm. that event occurred. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I will tell you again that I disagreed with them. I took umbrage at the thought that I had changed. Um, okay. The truth is I had, right? And so that's um, a factor as well. I eventually found therapy. Okay. Accidentally in a pastime. And I, and I took up landscape photography. Okay. And I went into different places in the world. And I, you know, and I would stand in front of a mountain and, and, and stare at the mountain and okay. clears your mind. Try to capture that image of the light on the mountain. Yeah. You know, and there's an artistic aspect to that. There's a technical aspect to that for an engineer like me. Yeah. I like that as well, right? But, but you can't think about something else when you're doing that. Now, other people find other pastimes which help them get over it. But I do um, credit photography with being the solution for me. And over the course of, let's say. 
So, you know, so, so, so hold on, because I don't want us sure. to get too far. I don't want us to get too far away from this, which is, you know, so what is what is PTSD look like? OK. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, when uh, some of the, the signs or symptoms of PTSD, well, it, it, obviously the person has to experience or witness something that they feel is either life-threatening or going to cause some serious harm or injury or or again witnessing something that's life-threatening or caught potentially um you know either actual an actual life-threatening potentially life-threatening um um you know and witnessing that happening you know or causing serious injury and even, even witnessing that um experience for someone else like for instance i've had people say you know, my friend was shot and killed in front of me. So, um, so th that's an example. So in addition to the actual experience, you know, you've already, you know, said sometimes that what, what happens is you get to re-experiencing the event over and over again, you know, uh, uh, you know, in your thoughts, people can have, um, then they can have problems, you know, um, you know, trusting, they can have what we call the physiological symptoms or, you know, things like your rapid heart rate, your sweating, things that feel like, you know, a panic attack. There's also, um, um, you know, they can have nightmares. That's part of re-experiencing it. Obviously, you can re-experience it when you're awake. They can have, obviously, blame themselves for what happened, even if they weren't really to blame for what happened. They can have mm -hmm. difficulty trusting others. Um, then they can also have difficulty feeling joy. Um, they'll feel like their life may be cut short. Um, they can, um, um, then also, you know, some of the, and, and this is not a complete exhaustive list, but there's also things like, again, then having problems sleeping, being irritable and having irritable outbursts, um, you know, changes in appetite or, or energy level, so, and, and and obviously just being more avoidant and withdrawn, right? Not wanting to connect with people because really what's, what's happened is they've experienced something that they find so threatening that um, now they're put on high alert. And there's also, that's another thing is the being hypervigilant um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, potentially looking, potentially looking for threat. So if I'm on high alert and looking for threat, then the, I'm going to do things that um, that I think are going to increase my safety, right? And so sometimes that means avoiding and keeping people at distant at a distance. One of the other things can that can happen too as a consequence of that is that um, if somebody um, you know comes up from behind them and they don't see the person did they get this exaggerated startle response, right? Some people run out of the room, some people will start swinging. So, yeah. you know, right. So those are, you know, many of, uh, uh, of, of the um, signs or symptoms that people experience, you know, when they've either experienced trauma or witnessed trauma. And um, so I, I take it you probably had some of those other ones when the kids when the kids said you weren't yourself. I'm assuming some of that was the irritability. I, I yes yes you're exactly right and I can't tell you Dr. Durr, in that 
short little snippet that you just did, the, you unpacked so much of what I went through. Um, and just in that little bit, because you, you caused me to think just now, mm -hmm. as you were talking mm -hmm. about aspects of, of what drove it for me that I had not thought, thought about. So for example, survivor's guilt. I lived, my mm -hmm. friends died. So that was one event that occurred yeah. on 9-11. Second, I was involved in, in several rescues. One of the ladies I, we tried to rescue ended up dying. Oh. So, she, so I, I have guilt about that, about the fact that we tried to save her, but we couldn't. And then on 9-12, on September 12th, I was put in charge of the recovery effort. Mm. And so I had to go back in when all the bodies were still in there. Wow. And survey the extent of the damage and help the, because this was still being treated like a crime scene. And so there were hundreds of bodies in there and I had to kind of outline where the Navy, because I was, I was Navy, where the Navy spaces were relative to other spaces because they're trying to figure out the, you know, affected spaces. Yeah. Um, so I saw a lot of things that nobody should ever see. Yeah. And, hor and, horrible things, right? Correct. And I, and I had triggers. I didn't have so many triggers from the survivor's guilt, although I, have, I had a little bit of that. I had a lot of triggers from the, the lady that we lost. Her name was Antoinette Sherman. I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I and I had a whole bunch of visual triggers mm -hmm. from the scene of all those bodies inside the Pentagon, and and you said relive it, um, re-experience it, uh, and and be traumatized by re-experience. Re I, I was pretty good, you know, though it burdened me. But there were a couple of movies actually where they similar events to what I went through. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in one movie, I'll never forget, there's a scene where a bunch of soldiers are burned in Vietnam, a movie called We Were Soldiers Once. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and I was watching that movie when those soldiers were burned, and it flashed back for me mm -hmm. to the scene of burned people inside the building. I lost it. And so I didn't know you were going to do therapy on me today, but I'm <laughs> serious. Um, you're exactly right on every one of those aspects that you talked about. Um, right. And I, and I think that I, I was also say too, cause, um, I don't think I really emphasized this part, but I think the other thing too, when you're talking about the re-experiencing it and the, and the getting triggered. And so oftentimes people are not always aware of their triggers. And the, the, the thing too about it is you actually feel like you're there experiencing it all over again. Like sometimes you mentioned movies, like sometimes you'll see in the movies with the military, you know, a, a, a guy that has been in Vietnam and all of a sudden he hits the deck and he starts talking about, you know, Charlie's coming or the Viet Cong is coming. And this is the, the, so they're, they're, they're not even aware of their current surroundings. They're actually reliving it and re-experiencing it as though they're actually in that time and in that place uh, of, of the trauma. So, um, yeah. I, I, so, so, and, and, and let me, let me, let me say this, please. Um, um, it absolutely is not my intention to, um, you know, potentially trigger you. So if, if something comes mm -hmm. up, you know, let, yeah, let, let, please, please yeah. make me aware. Uh, and I, I, so here's the other thing too, and, and why I wanted to share these symptoms, because as we already talked about, there's a lot of things that people don't know. And so what, um, and sharing 
what to look for, the signs and symptoms, what I've now also done is giving you the language to describe mm -hmm. your experience and, and yeah. to identify some things that you may not even realize were relevant, right? So that's that's the that's the other part that's important. That's the other part that's important about this. Yeah, so before was, we, be, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, what, uh, the only thing I was going to say is, is I didn't talk about it until a documentary in 2016. Um, the documentarians asked me to to, to tell my story, uh, and and so I agreed to do it on camera. Mm -hmm. And again, they were very kind to me because they didn't air the parts where I lost it as I was telling the story. Yeah. And so um, I got the story out the, 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 and, I, and I've done, I've told the story several times since then, and I have been okay with it. So I don't think I'm gonna lose it with you here today, Dr. Durr, but, um, but it did take from 2001 mm -hmm. until 2015th year anniversary and I was still affected by it so much that I couldn't talk about it. But once I did, it got easier. Yeah. And, and, and you also brought up an important point was that um, in your case, you found an artistic, you know, creative outlet that mm -hmm. helped you work through uh, your trauma. And, you know, the other thing, too, that I've heard you know, warriors talk about is that um, part of their challenge in particular is not only witnessing the horrors, you know, of war combat, but also some of the things they've done, which they can find very difficult to forgive themselves for. And so mm -hmm. part of their healing process is, is, is working, is working through that. And, um, um, you know, also I, I wanted to go ahead and, um, you know, kind of, and share, share your background too, if that's okay. Mm. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, retired captain William Toady, U S Navy, um, you're an author and of the book from, from CEO, which is commanding officer, right? So from CEO to yeah. CEO. A practical guide for transitioning from military to industry leadership. Great title. So you served more than 26 years on active duty, culminating as Commodore of Submarine Squadron 3, then 15 years as a corporate executive, culminating as a CEO. And then you've been featured in several documentaries, the most recent one being 9-1, excuse me, 9-11. One Day in America on National Geographic. The others are The Lost Ships of World War II on Fox, USS Indianapolis, The Final Chapters, PBS. Um, and um, then there's also the 9-11 Pentagon one on the History Channel and, and some others. So, um, you know, again, I want to, um, retired Captain William Toady, I want to thank you for um, thank you for your service and all that you've done, and and frankly your your, your you know your courage, your bravery, for um, you know being here to and, and sharing your story with us, and um, um, you, you know and your and your 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 band of brothers and 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 women, brothers and sisters, I should say, your band of brothers and sisters, right? 
So, so we, so, you know, you, so we were talking about the fact that you, you know, found this therapy, which was the, um, uh, photography. Mm -hmm. And, um, so how, so let's see, so, so you obviously found something you do, you feel that helped you make the transition, right? So, so we, we were talking about, so why is it, you know, one that uh, military people, when they leave, they can, they can actually end up leaving service, but then also, you know, when they, when they leave, um, you, you, you know, there's, um, we, and we talked about this briefly, um, off camera that there's also this high rate of suicide the first year, you know, after they leave service. Yeah, that's when military folks are the most vulnerable to, to suicide. And there's a bunch of different reasons for that. The first one is, you know, it, a lot of military folks, you know, suffer injuries, whether the psychological injuries or physical injuries that result in pain. So that's that becomes a risk factor. The fact that they're experiencing pain. The second one is that after they leave service, the support structures that they relied upon while in service are gone and they have to rely on a different set of support structures, some of which aren't very effective. So, for example, the Veterans Administration gets, you know, pilloried quite a bit and you've worked there, so you, you understand why that might be. But the truth is, unless you are suicidal, mm -hmm. actually suicidal, and you report yourself as being suicidal, it's very difficult to get timely help from the VA. It's not uncommon that when you want to seek help and you aren't to the point of suicide, mm -hmm. you know, where you call the hotline, it's six months or more before they can see you. So that's, that leads to frustration, which becomes the second risk factor. And then the frustration leads to hopelessness mm -hmm. because they don't ever get better. And those three factors combined to lead to this you know, despair, which increases, greatly increases the risk of suicide in the first year. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not you. I can't treat those factors. But what I learned over the course of my civilian career is that their transition into a civilian workforce can be one of those stressors that leads to the psychological pain. Because it's very different working in the civilian world as it is in the working in the world in the uniform world. And so over the course of my civilian career, I tried to mentor and counsel, I ended up hiring hundreds of veterans. And I wish I could tell you that the success rate in hiring those veterans was, was really good for me because I was a veteran. But it wasn't any good for me as it was for anybody else, which is what led me to write the book. I decided to focus on the employment aspect of that transition challenge because I couldn't to treat the PTSD or the other factors right so, so right that was my so can I just just also to have an idea so what are some of the the supports uh when they're on active duty that they have that are helpful that they're not that they don't have once they leave service well because you are required to be deployable that it's much easier to get military psychological dental care okay because you need to be able to deploy at any time so okay. when you say look I got problem, I got a bad knee, mm -hmm. or I'm struggling with this issue, this personal issue, you've got chaplains available to you, you got 
mental health therapy available to you. You've got physical physicians and, you know, um, you know healthcare available to you. Um, when you leave, you're no longer deployable. So the whole attitude changes, right? You've just got some people, unless you have an employment healthcare plan, some people just have the VA. And I, and I have to tell you that when I've gotten VA care, it's generally been high quality care. The problem isn't the quality, the problem is the, for, it, for me it hasn't been, I'm, and I can't speak for everybody. The problem is the access. Right. It's just way underfunded. And, and that becomes the problem. And, and that, you know, again, not a problem I can fix. But if I can help people transition better into those civilian jobs and eliminate that stressor, that's what I'm trying to do. Okay, awesome. So uh, let's go ahead and take a break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about those things that, um, that you do in order to help that transition be successful. Heaven abounds in you, enlightens, uplifts, inspires, and invites you to live a life that's engaged, joyous, and limitless, the sweet spot of life. Take this journey in oneness. We are and have all that God, the infinite creative source of the universe is. You are infinite potentiality and the kingdom of heaven is within you. Heaven abounds in you. Hi, if you just joined us, I'm your host, Dr. Valerie Durr, and um, I have the pleasure today of having a conversation with re retired uh, U.S. Navy Captain William Toady. And we are talking about um, the, the difficulties that uh, military people can experience upon leaving the military and then becoming successful in, in civilian life. And so you, you, were, you were saying that while um, you've, you've had the experience yourself of leaving the struggle and um, you realize that, of course, there, um, there are services that are no longer available to the veterans now that they're civilians that they had before. And so while you couldn't help them with therapy, you could help. Uh, provide some 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 uh, uh, other ways for them to be successful in civilian life, and so so what'd you come up with? Well, you know, in many ways, I was so blessed. I was on active duty. You know, I, I had a great education. I had great leadership opportunities. I commanded a nuclear submarine. I commanded a squadron of nuclear submarines, and one would think, wow. Wow. I just want to say, I have to say, wow. <laughs> One would think that that would have set me up for great success in my civilian career, right? Uh -huh. And yet I still almost failed. I still, I was, I, I screwed it up to begin with. And I didn't, first of all, I didn't believe I, I could possibly screw it up, you know, because obviously the civilian job is going to be easier than my seven deployments were right. I mean, mm -hmm. wouldn't it make sense? And so, you know, there's a bit of hubris involved there that, that causes you to think that any civilian job is going to be easier than any industry job, which turns out not necessarily to be true. Then there's the aspect that um, 
Dealing with a civilian workforce is very different than dealing with a military workforce, right? Um, I joke with my friends who are still on active duty. Leadership is hard, but it's even harder when you're leading people who can actually quit. <laughs> you know, don't have to, the, I don't have to remember. I'm going to have to remember that one. That's a great one. That's a great yeah, one. Yeah, and you know what? Nobody told me that. I figured it out. When I was CEO of the submarine, my crew might disagree with me, but we're underwater. There's no place for them to go, right? There's nothing they're going to be able to do. When I'm a, heading a business unit, if my crew doesn't agree with me, they're out the door, right? They're, they're leaving. And so that brings specific different kind of leadership challenges that I never had on active duty. And so th th there's a whole bunch of other. So you know, it's like I just went, I, so I just thought of, I, I'm sorry. I just thought about something, which was when you said the, the the torpedo crew they have no place to go. Well, they have one place to go, and that's through the torpedo chute. <laughs> they won't ever do the torpedo chute. Nobody ever offered to do that, right? And so I wonder why. But, but you know, the, the, the really the thing that when I had the epiphany, Dr. Mm -hmm. Durr, it was that. The military actively makes the condition worse for Ooh. people leaving service because the people that they're, they're supposed to prepare you for civilian life. And, and the military wants veterans to feel really good about their active service, about their time on active duty. And so the way they do this is by lying to you. They, they tell you that. No. Uh, I'm using the word line. Okay. You know, I'm going to be fair to them. The people who are running this training have never been in civilian private industry. Mm. They've never been a leader in industry. They're given a script and they're teaching from a script. But that script tells the veteran, the soon to be veteran, that, you know, you gained all these wonderful skills on active duty. They're directly translatable to your future life in industry. And it turns out it's a lie. They are not. You know, you're an infantryman. There's almost nothing you can draw from that that's going to help you in your civilian career, you know, other than the ability to put up with hard times. In the military, we call it embracing the suck. This sucks, but I'm going to embrace it, right? Um, maybe that's a skill that, that you can use in, in civilian in industry because no matter how bad it gets at Home Depot, it's not going to be as bad as sleeping in the mud. Okay. So here's the thing I think in the military, y'all call it embracing the suck. Civilian life is yeah. called resilience. Yeah, resilience, right. right. Resilience. Yeah, in theory, we've learned some resilience, but the leadership uh, skills are wrong. You've got to adapt the leadership skills. You've got, you, you're on, you think you're going to know more about business than you really do. You're going to have to lower the level of hubris especially if you leave like I did as a senior military officer, where you, you think, you know, I've got I, you know, the world, at, you know, at my fingers because I've succeeded in the most hostile, um, challenging environment on the planet. So this civilian thing is going to be easy in comparison. Um, you've got to learn to put your rank away. None of your prior successes will have anything to do with your future success. There's a great book on that topic called What Got You Here Won't Get You There, mm. which I recommend. That book and my book are the two books okay. I recommend to every okay. transitioning 
military person. You know, so you, people are going to be led to believe that because they were successful in the military, uh, in fact, it, it's even worse than that. The more successful you are in the military, the more likely you are going to be to fail in industry. And as a result of that, almost 60% of transitioning veterans leave their first civilian job within two years, normally because mm. they're, going to get, they're going to be let go. Sometimes it's because the civilian boss who never served in the military doesn't want to have that challenging conversation with them where they tell them, you know what? Your leadership skills aren't very good. You think they're better than they are. Oh. <laughs> but, but um, or they just don't want them to, they, they don't have the other challenging conversation with them to tell them that they're failing. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, encourage them or talk them into maybe this job isn't the right job for you. Or maybe we're going to have to put you over in this other job because we made a mistake in bringing a veteran into this job. And so there's a whole bunch of aspects of this that I try to unpack with my book. I learned I can't mentor everybody, but I could write a book that hopefully will affect a thousand, thousands of people that will have the effect of mentoring everybody. And that's what I'm hoping happens. Okay, so what would you say then directly, what's specific other than embracing the suck? <laughs> other than that, what military skills are then transferable to the civilian life? Well, I think the resilience issue that you want, yeah. other than that, leadership skills can be modified, can be adapted to be effective in the civilian world. You know, I, I was first. So, 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 you know what? So right now I'm having a moment of disillusionment because <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going, wait a minute, hold on. I could have swore things like discipline, mm -hmm. um, teamwork, mm -hmm. uh, failure is not an option. But just, yeah. just those three alone, to me, I would have thought would have translated from active duty to civilian life. They do. And I was okay. going to get there. But okay. 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 Thing because I talked so harshly about it just a moment ago. But you, okay. you are correct. You, you survive as a team in the military. Okay. Okay. And, and that's going to be really important in industry as well. Um, Understanding the, the, you know, we, defense of the nation is sufficiently self-actualizing that you don't have to buy into the mission. You, you understand the mission. But, 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 but once you understand the civilian mission and your job, that may be a little harder to embrace, but it's really important to embrace it. You will have that mission focus that will help you succeed. That's the um, failure is not an option aspect that you're talking about. So yes. yeah, all of those things are very um, important on active duty and industry. And this mm -hmm. is why I tell employers that veterans make such make really, really good employees, mm -hmm. but don't just toss them into the deep end and expect they're going to know how to swim. They're going to need some help in adapting. Some of the yeah, because I'm, I'm about to say, wait a minute, hold up. I, if that's not the case, and I'm going to have to go have a conversation with SecDef on, from the Transformers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> who 
send that about the unit. <laughs> Please do it because he needs to hear that. Okay. Because he okay. isn't doing veterans much good as they transition. And that's the, I've had those conversations with mm -hmm. the people responsible for the transition training. Okay. They don't want to hear it. Because right? they're never measured on the effectiveness of their product. They're Ooh. never evaluated Ooh. on the effectiveness of their product. Nobody goes back and says, hey, those veterans you trained five years ago, how are they doing today? Okay. They have no way of measuring that, right? Okay. And tying it back to the people who conducted that training. So they basically do, they, they, it's, it's catch and release, essentially, right? So that's what they're doing, catch and release, catch and release. You know, good luck, hope you do well. So specifically, you, so, so you're talking about then, it's, you have to adapt your leadership uh, style. Um, do you want to elaborate on that some more, or do you want to get into some of the other things that don't transfer, the other skills that don't transfer? You know, the, the two big ones are the leadership style and the mission, right? So when I talk to people coming out of the military, I say, okay, you, you want to go work for fill in the blank for, you know, this new healthcare company. Um, mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised at the number of people who leave the military, nothing to do with healthcare in the military, but go work for a hospital or something like that. Um, and I say, so what's the, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. So in quality control, things like that. Okay. I'm not sure I understand why the hospital wants to bring military people into medical quality control, but that's, that's not my domain, so I'm not going to judge. Um, okay. But, but I'll say, okay, what's your mission really going to be in this new civilian job? And they say, making money. And I said, yeah, you know what? If you think that's your mission, you're going to fail. That has to be a byproduct of succeeding in the mission. But they've got this very naive movie-based, you know, they, they watch the movie Wall Street too many times. So they got this movie-based perception of what business is all about that, that turns out to be really, really wrong and counterproductive. And so until they get their mind right on the mission, that's going to be a big issue. And the teamwork aspect of it. They're going to have to work. They may have to work with the teams that they've never had to work with before. And, you know, I'll, I'll be up front with you and tell you that the first time I ever had to work with an openly gay person was when I was a civilian, um, because that, mm. that whole aspect of it hadn't mm -hmm. occurred yet. That revelation, epiphany, you know, the, the change in policy hadn't occurred yet while I was still in uniform. Mm -hmm. um, in the submarine force. We didn't have women on submarines yet. Uh -huh. um, you know, and so all of those, you're going to have to work with a much greater diversity. And I mean that in, in the greatest sense, diversity of thought. You know, people in the military tend to be fairly conservative. You know, and then you're going to have to work with, you know, ultra left wing people and and not just work with them, but succeed with them. And so uh -huh. all of these aspects, uh -huh are a great culture shock. And these are peop for people who are well adjusted mentally to the transition. People who are struggling mentally with mm -hmm. a lack of support structure, you know, these are way less important secondary factors. Okay. Okay. Um, so 
So how do you how do, so how do you go about then adapting basically, right? Because mm-hmm. that's that's to me that's to me one of the fundamental um, mindsets mm-hmm. um, that one has to have um, to 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 thrive to 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 continue to exist in some instances and certainly to even to thrive is as a species, let alone as individuals, you have to be willing to adapt. So. Mm-hmm. How, how do you adapt those two challenges, right? That don't usually translate well, you know, what's the way that either the person themselves obviously has to adapt or that, you know, their, um, you, the, the companies can help them adapt. Families can help them adapt. Um, and I, and I, and I realize to, to some degree, there's, there's obviously difference between, you know, the work and the home life, but there's some, you know, some overlap, but so, so yeah. So what's, what, how do we help them adapt? It's different for the different um, categories, demographics Mm -hmm. of of transitioning veteran for the really junior guys and gals, they may not have developed the coping skills that more senior, you know, know, let's say Sergeant major or the Colonel might've developed. So their adaptation may involve a lot of, um, you know, understanding and coping. There's a certain, another category, the, I would say the middle group who've got, a, you know, a family and, um, and suddenly they're going to find themselves in a situation where they're going to be around that wife a whole lot more or husband a whole lot more than they were on active duty. And mm-hmm. wait a minute. This is a different dynamic, right? And so do, do they, are they going to get tired of each other? Is that, that's mm-hmm. a real issue. I mean, I, mean, I hate to say it. Or, or also the increased contact then increases the opportunity for conflict. Friction, exactly. Yes. Because we deployed for seven, six, seven, eight months and I came home. You treasure each other. That, now there's some adjustment that goes on, right? Because now suddenly you're, you're in the middle of everything trying to get it to pretend like it was before you left. And, and they're, they've been operating a certain way and you've got to kind of adapt. But, but beyond that, you treasure each other a whole lot more than you did to, because of that, 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 that uh, absence. Um, and you've been thinking about it and, and praying on it and, and hoping for it. And when it finally comes back, you treasure each other that much more. And, and so that absence is not going to be there anymore. And sometimes people don't react as well to that as they think they're going to. Then there's a third category of people, the senior folks. And what I tell them is your key to adapting is going to be to accept the reality that you're starting all over again, that you do not know what it, it's going to take to succeed in this new environment. That 24-year-old who's going to be in the desk next to you knows more about how to succeed than you do, General. So, General, you're a second lieutenant all over again. And you better understand that if you don't, you're going to fail. And so that, that those are, you know, not a single easy answer, I'm afraid. So so one of the things is, which is still translatable, everything is let go of the hubris, right? <laughs> let go of the arrogance that you think yep. that you're smarter than everybody else in the room. <laughs> yeah, because at one point you might actually have been, right? And that ain't going to be true anymore. 
So, um, and, and, and if you weren't the smartest person in the room, in that instance, when you're the general, you certainly got the most authority and power in the room. Correct. Then yes. You can hit the over button and you're mm -hmm. not going to be able to do that in industry. You know, there's a whole bunch of other little things that I talk about in the book, like an organize, a company organization chart is not a chain of command, right? So don't think of it like a chain of command because you will fail. You know, you're going to be measured on success, not on following the, you know, the chain of command. So, um, but again, too much to cover in this one hour, I'm afraid. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, then, so specifically, what are some things that then can be done in order to help them to understand the new mission? Yeah, again, it has to be... Um, Every company is providing a product or a service for a customer. You got to start there and think, how am I making that customer's life better? And just, you know what, making people's life better, it can give you just as much self-actualization as defense of the nation. And so you've got to, to look for something that you can make peace with, you know, join a company that, that you actually can embrace that mission. And, and that's really the first big step. Okay, so and um, so and then t in I think the today's language, you know, the big thing is, you know, how how do to make this a great customer experience, right? How do we make this a great customer experience? Absolutely. Okay, so so that becomes so that becomes the new mission, and as you pointed out, which of course I don't think this to me this is I think true in general, not specifically to transitioning from active duty, you know, to, to civilian life, which is, I think by and large, we get the most satisfaction with the work that we do when it's coming from a place of how can I serve as opposed yeah. to, you know, as opposed to how much money can I make? Because, um, you know, if, if in my experience, if your focus is on how much money I can make, when you get to, as they say, you get to the top of that the top of that ladder, and and you found out uh, you you reached the wrong destination. Um, you know exactly right. Mm -hmm. Wonderful point, because it's about service. You were in the service in the military, and that doesn't have to change when you enter private industry. It's still about service. The the nature of the service may change, but it's still about service. And if you're chasing the dollar, you ain't never going to catch it. Because no matter how much you make, there's going to be someone making more than you that you're going to be. So it needs to be about fulfillment. And, and, and I was lucky. It took me over a decade to figure that out, Dr. Durr. But I did figure it out. So, so you know what? You just said something else, too, I think that actually ties back into um, how we actually started off the conversation, which for me, what I also find, you know, is one of the reasons people have difficulty when there's a when there's where's a change is if they're identified with whatever no longer is so for instance if you had you know a certain rank like you mentioned you know sergeant major for those who may not know is the top enlisted person and they um obviously are are you know in control and running things kind of like you know the day-to-day -day operations and things like that and so 
uh, you know, or the, the general or the colonel. So if you lose that rank and, and something um, that's basically similar to it, once you go back into civilian life, and even without that, then it's the question becomes, who am I? And mm-hmm. um, without, if it's grounded in your previous rank and power and authority, and now you no longer have that, then that can really, that, that loss, the, the sense of self, the loss of that sense of self derived from that can really send a person into a tailspin. Absolutely right. You believe that you are what the uniform represents and you're not, right? You are, you have to find your inner self. And, you know, for me, it took probably more than a decade, but mm-hmm. I, but I did. And, um, you know, that is part of the solution. Yes. So the, the, and so the way that, that I describe that is, is, uh, is agreed. And I said, you know, you said, you find your inner self. So for me, the inner self is who was I before I came into this body, right? Yes. That's the inner self. That's, that's who, that's my true identity. And then that doesn't change based upon, you know, my career, my position, my authority, my power, my possessions, the position, power, authority, possessions, then just becomes an expression of, or, you know, becomes an expression of, of self, but it's not self. The way, another way I say that to make it concrete for people is when you drive in a car, are you the driver of the car or are you the car? <laughs> Yeah, right. right. So, so, and a lot of folks get confused and they think that they're in, in terms of metaphorically think that they're the car. So they think that mm-hmm. they're their position. They think that they're their rank. They think that they're their money. They think. And so, um, but if you remember who you really are, which is you're the driver, you're the person who you're the person, the true self is that, that eternal infinite being that is occupying a certain body who is now in this job or in this role, in this position, in this. And so even when those things change or leave, you still have value because, um, as I say also, because you're the infinite potential of the universe appearing as you, right? So if we also can remember that, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I think, I think that can be really helpful. I don't know. What do you think? I agree completely. I, I have, um, my own spiritual, you know, um, backing. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I don't even believe in, in my theology that I'm the driver of the car. I think somebody else is. And, and I'm just going along for the ride. But boy, what a ride it's been. Well, you know what? And so, so let me say this. When I say the driver of the car, I don't mean the big driver. I don't mean the head driver. I meaning that, you know, again, in my, in my spiritual, in my spiritual belief, who I am is an expression of the big driver. Right. And so as an expression of that, I get to be, I get to decide what, what do I want to do with that infinite potential that I am? Right. What experiences do I want to create? And so in that aspect, that's the driver that's in this particular body, i.e. the car that's deciding where we want to go. Cause sometimes the big driver goes, goes left and you go, no, I'm not going left. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going right. right? <laughs> I'm going right. And then you go, oh, I messed up. I should have listened and gone left. <laughs> so 
that experience. Yep. I did not like that experience of going right. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't mean with a big driver. I mean, you know. <laughs> so, um, anything else that you think that we can do in order to help the transition? Um, and and, and uh, no, so I mean, let me say this too. I just want to bring uh, before I because uh, I want to make sure we get this in too is for those folks who are struggling with mental health problems or difficulties. Um, there's folks you can talk to. There's folks you can actually text um, if you're having thoughts of suicide or feeling depressed or really anxious. Um, you can call nine eight eight. That's the the suicide prevention um, hotline number. Um, which um, it's great that they've simplified it now. Again. The suicide prevention hotline number is 988 if you're struggling or having difficulties. And then anything else that, that you want to suggest, anything else that we didn't cover? It, it takes a, it's a full court press. It takes mm -hmm. everyone to, to cause this issue of veteran transition um, to be uh, improved. It takes mental health professionals like yourself. It takes people who have an understanding of the, the the specific workplace challenges like me. It takes people that understand the specific family challenges. And there's so many aspects of this. There's no one solution that's gonna solve all the problems. That's why we all have to keep working at it. All right, and so of course you're absolutely right. And should people wanna reach out to you, You know how they connect with you, social media, your website? Yeah, WilliamTody.com. That Toddy spelled T-O-T-I. So four letters is pretty easy. My last name is a four-letter word. Um, ah. and so, there you go. So it's WilliamTody.com, and my email address is there. Okay. So you know what? Now I just uh, you know I hadn't even thought about that. Now I'm gonna have to borrow that because my last name is a four-letter word too. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so um, and then are you on any social media? Uh, I do Twitter and it's at, you know, at William Toady, or I guess we call it X today these days. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. And, so, and LinkedIn. Okay. And so Toady. awesome. So I want to, again, encourage the audience um, to, uh, you know, check out your book from CEO to CEO, a practical guide for transforming excuse me, from or a practical guide for transitioning from military to the ind industry leadership. And um, uh, because this is really important that, um, as you know, there's a, that saying, I forgot who says it, but it's, was, it's most important to seek to understand than to be understood. And, and if we want to um, honor and help those men and women who have sacrificed and their in their families have sacrificed so much to be of service to us as a nation, then it is important that we do what we can to aid them from transitioning from that active role of, of, of warrior, um, you know, and support services to, to back to themselves and to have a successful life. So I want to want want to thank you so much, uh, Bill, for writing the book, uh, uh, and again for your service for being here uh, on the show with me today, and and you know sharing such valuable information. You know it's it's been wonderful, and um, you know 
I'd love to have you back sometime. Well, thank you, Dr. Durr. Thank you for what you do. And it was a great pleasure talking to you today. And you're welcome. And thank you so much. I'm Dr. Durr, awakening and empowering you to live out your infinite potential, to live life in the sweet spot. I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today in the sweet spot. Share, follow, and like us on social media. To learn more, please visit balinadurmd.com, spelled B-A-L-I-N-A-D-U-R-R-M-D.com. Join us next week, and remember, when you heal your mind, all things are possible.